The Athletic. Qatar Heroes, day 25 of the World Cup, and we're set for a France-Argentina final after Griezmann and the gang win their semi-final two goals to nil. For Morocco, the dream was Buffal, but the opponent was one too many. We'll look back on the action of the Albite and hear about the scenes back in Argentina as that nation counts down to Sunday. Plus, an unsung 11 and some other almost end of tournament thoughts in this Totally at the World Cup. Day, make up your own number at this point, really. It doesn't really matter because we're almost finished. The whole thing going to feel like a fever dream I think in a few weeks time but here we are anyway on day 25 let's say I think the official denomination is doing a totally at the World Cup and quite a special one I think in prospect with Duncan Alexander hello Duncan hello wow listener was that loud for you Tom I'm almost afraid to respond James I don't want to bust your eardrums but hello it's insane the power of this of this now fully functioning studio. <laughs> really? Wow. Also coming up on the way, oh, we're going to speak to our friend Martin Mazur, who uh, is going to give us the Argentine perspective of events this Wednesday evening at the Al Bight Stadium, which saw France defeating Morocco 2-0. 2-0. Doesn't tell the whole story, as scorelines often don't. We'll explore some of the nuances of that, but we have a final, and it is Argentina-France. Woof. Yeah, I mean, it's a proper final, isn't it? It's two two proper teams and after what felt like two full rounds of matches that were full of shocks, we, we've ended up getting two semi-finals that even though, as you say, the scoreline tonight perhaps didn't reflect how well Morocco played, two semi-finals that have given us the victors that we were expecting, the final that we were expecting and now this, this fantastic narrative of, mm. of Lionel Messi trying to finally lay his hands on that trophy that he's been chasing for his whole career up against France, who are, who are looking for this historic, successful trophy defence. Up against Deschamps, destroyer of dreams and naysayer of narratives, Duncan. Look what he did to poor Morocco. Yeah, I mean, he just shatters dreams like their plates. Or like he's a Johnny Hates Jazz fan. Yes. Could be. Could be. All he right. doesn't hate going through to World Cup finals, though. We know that for sure. I mean, obviously, these two teams played. Argentina and France played in the uh, in the last World Cup. In was that a was that an interesting game? Yeah, pretty interesting. Yeah, four three. Argentina took the lead. France roared back, and then uh, Aguero with a with a consolation to make it four three. So, I mean, I would take that for a mm. repeat for the World well, Cup. Well, we'll talk about we Argentina France uh, in a second or two, actually, uh, with Martin Mazur when he when he joins us. But to talk about what happened on Wednesday night. A lot of expectations, France heavy favourites, but then again, Morocco had been upsetting the odds at every occasion that you wondered, but you didn't wonder for long because five minutes in, Tom. Yeah, five minutes in, Teo Hernandez pops up at the back post and, and puts France ahead. Spoken about pre-game, Morocco went into that match having not conceded a, a single goal to an opposition player all tournament. And we know they've got this remarkable defensive record 
um, at this tournament, but but not only in in the in the weeks in the weeks building up to it. Um, and in many ways, it was the the worst possible start for them. I mean, it's the worst possible start for any team that can see an early goal. But I think when you depend so much on clean sheets and and keeping teams at bay. Um, it you know it, it did it did set them off at the back foot and it was a really it was an unusual goal for them to concede because it, it involved a lot of players making mistakes. First, you had Al Yamik who was brought into the team as a sort of late replacement for Naif Aguerre, who gets caught the wrong side of Antoine Griezmann who spins in behind him onto Rafa Varane's through ball. And then when he cuts the ball back to Mbappe, you had like the entire mm. Moroccan defence and midfield and maybe a few substitutes and family <laughs> members all converging on, on Mbappe. And when his shot was blocked, it falls to Hernandez, who's unmarked and, and produces a really spectacular finish at the mm. back post. It and, was and spectacular. Up and running. Yeah. Yeah. It was a remarkably good finish, actually, because it wasn't easy. He had, to, he had to get that hip pretty high. But it did show, as you said, Tom, the, the magnetism of Mbappe because literally everyone just ran towards him. And, you know, we'll talk about it in a bit, but the second goal wasn't dissimilar either. Morocco responded well, though, to this scenario, which we hadn't previously seen of them going behind. Yeah, I mean, they had 50% of their attacking play in the first half came down the right-hand flank, and mm. that was you know, that was where they were clearly dangerous, and, and we saw France react to that later in the game. But, yeah, they had the overhead kick from El Yamik. They had a very unfortunate booking for Buffal, who was uh, essentially tackled in the box, but the referee thought, well, we don't need any of that in the game, and uh, out came the yellow card. So, uh, I mean, it could have been a penalty, but I don't think it was. Equally, France had Giroud cracking one off the post. Mm. I mean, it was it was a game that for me was very similar to uh, France's semi-final at the last World Cup, albeit on that occasion they were playing Belgium, then the world's top-ranked side, and on this occasion they were playing lowly um, surprise package Morocco. But once again, it was France scoring through uh, a defender. It was Samuel Mtiti in, in 2018. It was it was Teo Hernandez uh, against Morocco. And then basically leave, leaving the ball to their opponents. That's not something that Morocco have been faced with all that much. Um, you look at the way that they beat both Spain and Portugal in the previous rounds. Um, on both those occasions, their, oppos- you know, their opponents dominated the ball and, and Morocco basically kept it tight and you know, uh, against Spain did the job on penalties and against Portugal did it with that, that fantastic uh, Nesri header. And yeah, I mean, it was, you know, France were under the cosh. But at the same time, it wasn't like Hugo Lloris had the mm. busiest night of his life. They only had three shots on target Morocco. So although there were, there were periods where they had France penned in, I didn't ever really feel like France were on the point of, of cracking as close as Morocco got on a couple of occasions. Um, and then in a way that felt... Extremely predictable, one little moment of magic from Mbappe. Pretty much the only moment of magic from Mbappe, to be honest. Ends up putting the, the second goal on a plate for Colin Mwani and, and France end up seeing it out pretty comfortably. Mm. He'd only come on how long before? 44 seconds, so the third quickest substitute in World Cup history to uh, come on and score. So they scored in the fifth minute and they scored in about the 81st, was it? And in between there was this long period, which is becoming a little bit familiar, as you say, Tom, with France, of them getting the job done, if not exactly dominating. Yeah, they France, I mean, people aren't going to like this comparison, but they're a bit like Sean Dyches Burnley and they don't mind giving up the ball in some dangerous positions. And Clip this one up, <laughs> but, but they don't actually, as Thomas said, they don't actually give up many good opportunities. I mean, right. they had a the similar number of shots in this game, but France's XG was, was much higher than, than Morocco's. And... I know Morocco did play very well throughout the tournament, but they had given up 13 clear-cut chances and the the French second goal tonight was the first one that actually conceded. So they they had ridden their luck at points as well. So it was it's a lovely story and, it, and it's an amazing achievement, but 
it did feel like tonight they came up against a team who are like hyper professional. And this is just what France do. You know, they're never all that impressive. There are periods in every game where you think that they're hanging on and this can't possibly continue. And then the dust settles and you realise that actually they haven't really been put under that much pressure. They've been pretty comfortable the whole way through. I mean, this is the first time in the tournament that they've not conceded a goal. So that was a, a step in the right direction. But that is... That is what Didier Deschamps has, has done with this team. Um, and it, it's been his approach the whole way through. And you go back to what's happened since the 2018 World Cup. And his first instinct was to try and progress the team in some way. I think he felt that, you know, he didn't want them to be as under the cosh as they had been in 2018. He wanted them to be a team who imposed themselves, who played uh, more football in the opposition half. Um, and, you know, that was what was behind bringing Karim Benzema back. That, that was what was behind switching to that three four one two system that they looked set to, you know, to use at this tournament right up until he announced his squad. And then when it came to it, he just fell back on what he knows. And what he knows is, you know, solid structure, compactness, defensive solidity. And this group of players, albeit with a few new faces, are quite happy playing that way. They don't necessarily feel that they want to be playing their opponents off the park, monopolising possession. They know that if they sort of follow the 2018 playbook, if you will, it will be enough to win knockout matches. And it's, yeah, so it proved once again today. This is the Totally Football Show, sponsored by LiveScore Bet, the home of squads. Squads is a weekly free-to-play game. You reveal five players across the week which make up your squad and you can earn cash each time they score in the selected games. The cash amount is decided by LiveScore Bet's prize wheel and can range from 10p up to £50 per goal, which you can spend once the final player is revealed. Find out more and play squads for yourself for free at LiveScoreBet.com or by downloading the LiveScore Bet app on Android and iPhone. It's over 18s only and full terms and conditions apply. Please bet responsibly and be gambleaware.org. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pierce, Ollie Kay, and the very best football writers around. There's loads more for us to say about this game. Ooh, that Amrabat tackle on Mbappé, Griezmann's everywhere you look, a Griezmann performance. Uh, but right now, let's hear from Martin Mazur, Argentine journalist who was following Argentina's next opponents at the Albite Stadium and joins us now from the, the bowels of the Albite, if you will, in the media zone. Martin, thank you so much for joining us. I know you don't have too long, so I'm going to leap straight in. Congratulations on Argentina reaching the final. You've just seen your opponents, France. What did you think? Well, I think it's uh, the obvious uh, final. Even when we started without knowing all the results, uh, you could normally say Argentina have to be first in their group in order to dodge France until until the very end. And this is what happened in the end. The Cinderella story of of Morocco ended officially at 11.55, so not even at midnight. But, um, but now we'll see what happens with the, 
with France. They have a, an, an amazing, an amazing potential. Of course, Mbappé is stealing all the the titles, the headlines, the the, the, the views. The people is, is looking at him. But Griezmann is fantastic. He's mm. really, really, really the engine of the team, the brains of the team. He can be a defender. He can be a forward. He reminds me a little bit of of Lothar Matthäus when when he converted from the number ten into into a sweeper. And this is the the team that we will face a very very intelligent team that will not leave uh, anything for granted uh, Argentina on the other side they are a fantastic uh, team in the very sense of the word if the defenders chasing Messi or the Argentinians that are around around uh, Messi and this is the main transformation from the team since uh, Russia the World Cup in Russia Martin also saw you face France uh, which saw your World Cup campaign end in that extraordinary seven-goal thriller, France coming from behind to knock you out. Do you remember much about that game? Absolutely, absolutely. And I have to say, it was a, a completely different different side from from uh, Argentina. Mascherano was playing. He 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 became viral for 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 a picture that he couldn't stop Mbappe, and, and it was the. Uh, the end of of a uh, generation of Argentinian players that day, even if they were winning, and and um, twenty more minutes, I think twenty five more minutes would have done it. But it was a completely different different uh, side with uh, many problems off the pitch, in the dressing room with the manager, with the assistant manager, especially. I have to say, Scaloni was there, but he was the third assistant manager, and he didn't really belong to the San Paoli coaching staff. So uh, now it's a completely, completely different, different side. Uh, they play angry, but angry in a good, in a good way. Yesterday for me it was a magical night, and uh, believe me, I, I've, I've watched uh, many Argentina games. I, I've, I've seen the 2014 the full campaign into the final. I've never seen. A game so magical by Messi, like like yesterday against uh, Croatia. He was really, really super fantastic. Marta, we, we saw magical scenes back in Argentina as well. The incredible crowds out there in the streets of Buenos Aires. It, for us, we, we're not always looking at what's going on there. It brought back memories of when Maradona passed away and the, the enormous out, outpouring of emotion then. Have you seen, apart from maybe the, that occasion, have you seen... you? Argentina united behind the team in this way before? I have to say I've never, uh, I've never seen it. Maybe I was a little kid when, uh, yeah, when uh, in the 1990 World Cup after after they reached the final and they lost. I remember that the team went back to to Buenos Aires Airport and it took them uh, like six seven hours to get from there to the the presidential house because all the people were there. But after that, especially. In, in the post-Maradona and in this century, I've never seen anything remotely like this. You know, it's like uh, there is a bond and, and, and it's a fantastic, fantastic story. Messi, for example, there is this famous song now that everyone is, is singing this song. And maybe it's the, the, the main song of the World Cup aside from the official song, but you can see all the people singing, but you can see also the players from Argentina singing it, and you can see Messi singing it. Messi has to, to say that Argentina is the, the land of Lionel, and he sings it, because it's like a, he's a fan. And this is also one thing I've, I've never, ever seen this, not even with Maradona. The, the players want to, to, for many years, we've waited to, to win by Messi, you know, for waiting for a genius moment from Messi and winning by Messi. And now 
we are we are all waiting and hoping to win for Messi. This for me is also the explanation of all this fever, World Cup fever in Argentina. Argentina was the first country in where it became a national a national issue, the lack of World Cup stickers. There was a shortage of World Cup stickers two months before the World Cup. And it even led to protests in the streets. The, the government has, in the middle of an inflation and so on, the, the government had to make a special meeting on how to deal with the, the shortage of, of stickers because it was affecting the people's mood. And now you can see thousands of people, even with the high inflation that Argentina has, trying to, to be here uh, for the semifinal, for the, for, for the final. They, they're literally putting all the money that they have saved for many years just to be here and celebrate. They, maybe they don't even have the ticket, but they want to be all together. They gonna... fear, will we ever see Messi again in right. the Argentina jersey? And we don't know that. But uh, at the moment, we have to celebrate. Martin, is there any fear over Messi's hamstrings? Uh, well, yesterday I was a little bit scared when he when he, he touched uh, in, the, in the first half, he touched. But uh, after after that, uh, I, I immediately noticed that he was okay. Now he, he will probably rest as much as possible. He, he will miss this game forever. I mean, he's waiting for this game even before 2014. We have to remember that Messi, even if he started playing in 2006, uh, in 2010, he couldn't score a single goal in the whole World Cup. In 2014, even if Argentina reached the final, he couldn't score uh, after the group stage. And uh, 2018, again, only in the group stage, and then uh, he couldn't score against France, and Argentina were knocked out. So it's uh, the final chapter for his World Cup story is this final, and uh, I wouldn't be worried about his uh, his fitness because it's I think now it's more a mental thing that that drives not only Messi but the Argentina in general. Martin Mazur painting quite the picture then. I'm pretty pretty fired up for this final now. I think I'm gonna go and sell panini stickers in Buenos Aires. <laughs> Grant Ryan Walker says, what does the pub want to see more? Lionel Messi finally winning his World Cup or France entering the annals of history by being the first team to have successfully defend the Cup since Brazil 62 and Deschamps, the first coach to win back-to-back World Cup since Pozzo in 38. I mean, is it our, it's not our role, is it, really? Well, to it's the sort of Tom's role. He works with the French media. Oh, so yeah, you, you do, Tom, don't you? I mean, I, you know, I am a supporter of Come French on. football and it would be a remarkable achievement. It would be a, yeah. a historic achievement for France yeah, to do this. But, but I totally get that every neutral in the world will be hoping that Messi... They're not finally, really neutral. Finally then, wins it. Well, they won't be neutral. I take the referee as good game Sunday. Yeah, but I mean, I was, I was, um, I was at the final in 2014, and I sort of had my eyes on Messi the whole game. Wrote a piece on, you know, how he'd had this before he was cool. But yeah, I'd kind of had kind of the, the got underground it. I'd, I'd hipster heard, player. I'd heard Messi, on yeah. the grapevine that there was this Messi guy at Barcelona who'd been doing good things. <laughs> but like all the narrative around that final was, you know, right. will Messi seize this opportunity to cement his legacy and kind of, you know, join? Pelé and Maradona and, okay. and all the other greats and it, it passed him by and there was that chance he had in the second half where he's sort of cleaned through and you're just waiting for the net to balls and he just rolls it wide and that haunting photograph of him going up to collect his winner's medal and suddenly finding himself about three paces away from the trophy. Runners-up medal. 
Yeah, to cut his runners-up medal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, and then, and, but then seeing the trophy, um, and there's a f- fantastic photograph of it, and this sort of moment of realization. You know, is this possibly mm. it? And and talking about the the France Argentina game from 2018, the narrative around that was a little bit: Has Mbappe just sort of ended Messi's chances of winning the World Cup? He'll be 35 in 2022. He might be past it, and yet. Here, Here we is. are again, Mbappe against Messi, the mm. PSG. And now their teammates. They'll be 39 in 2026. Narratives everywhere you look. They really are. Uh, you could see this as predominantly a player against a team. I know that's a wild oversimplification. But sure, but... let's go with it. But I mean, oh. that, that's, I mean that is kind of, that is of, kind the, of the, the story in a way. Yeah. One of the elements, though, of, of, of France's World Cup which Martin touched on then and you were touching on a lot during the game and I think everyone's really woken up to it in this tournament is Antoine Griezmann whose evolution has been spectacular and through this season mainly because he was never playing for Atletico mm. Madrid and has a different role for them anyway I don't think most people saw that coming what we saw from him in every game but particularly tonight was that his best game of the tournament? I mean, he's been so good. He's been so consistent. Um, but I think, yeah, what we saw from him tonight was what he's been doing from the start of the tournament. And, and his repositioning as a, as a midfielder, as opposed to a withdrawn striker, so, has been the chief tactical innovation of so, France's whole World Cup. So take us through the timeline of Griezmann's evolution. He kind of comes onto the scene, what, 2010-ish? Would that be... A little bit, a little bit later. He went to the 2014 World Cup. Right. Um, and then at 2016, he's the main man. As a kind man. of fairly kind of flyweight, but kind of a live wire striker? Yeah, yeah. And then 2010, uh, sorry, 2016, he plays in support of Olivier Giroud, but he's the main goal scorer in the team. Uh, he top scores with six goals. He gets both the goals against Germany in the semi-final in, in Marseille, and he's France's new golden boy. 2018, he goes into the tournament playing in the same position um, behind Giroud uh, in a sort of 4-2-3-1. But he's he's much more of a provider at 2018 than he had been at 2016. He's uh, also a content provider at this point, isn't he, with the, the decision? We had mm. the decision on the eve of the tournament, right. uh, of course, which left us all on the edges of our seats. Right. Um, and what really shone through at 2018 was, was Griezmann's tactical importance to France. And this... This sense that I think some of it just comes from his own natural qualities as a very competitive footballer and someone who is very tactically shrewd. But you also saw the influence of Diego Simeone, that idea of when a game needs speeding up, when a game needs slowing down, when you might need to do an extra roly-poly after being kicked just to try and buy a bit more time for your team. And I think he, perhaps more than any other player, symbolised France's success at 2018 because it wasn't spectacular, but it was very professional um, and... I think that's just been taken to the next level at this tournament because he's not playing like an attacking player at all. You know, I mean, he, he he's, he's still creating goals. He created the, the 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 header for Giroud against England, of course, but he's so much deeper on the pitch. He's he's getting through so much more defensive work, um, and it's just made him even more the heartbeat of this team. But he also turns up at the other end. He had a big part in in the opening goal for France against Morocco. But then, yeah, when Morocco had those late chances, who was back there? Mm cleaning up policing the penalty box yeah and he, what's really different now is he barely shoots Griezmann um, you know he's, he's still taking the free kicks and the corners but he's, his presence in the mm-hmm. penalty area as an attacking player is, is almost vanished he is now very much a midfielder um, and you know we asked who was going to provide the sort of thrust in midfield with Pogba missing and Conte missing Adrian Rabiot wasn't there this evening and it's Griezmann who's, you know, dropped deeper and, and taken on this new role and, and it's taken him to a new level. 
I mean, there's a fallacy in football that, that a lot of strikers can do this, can just drop back. I mean, we saw it with Wayne Rooney, didn't we, where everyone said, well, you know, when he's not got the pace to play up front, just play him in midfield. I mean, against Iceland in the in 2016, he had a lot of passes, but they didn't really go in very dangerous positions. But but Griezmann's like, he's he can do anything. It's like someone's crossed. I mean, uh, you know, we talked about Lothar Mateus, but it's like he kind of brings the sort of know-how and the, the team spirit of Jordan Henderson, but with about 58 other things as well. So I like him. I think he should he should be the player of the tournament. I mean, yep. you. I mean, if France win, um, surely he will be. He got man of the match. Tonight. I mean, Mbappe hasn't done much in the last two games. Got an assist tonight, and after a fantastic spin and dribble, right. And then deflected Got shot. Got tackled. Well, that's, yeah. And that, then that. That's, that's, was that the moment of the evening? The Amrabat tackle. The Amrabat tackle. Mm. Yeah, he... So Mbappe's streaking away down the left flank. And you see bodies kind of flying in in his mm. wake. Hakimi goes sliding in, but it he's already gone. He was very kind of um, Cameroon v Argentina 1990 in some respects with the bodies coming in laterally. Um, and then Mbappe's racing towards the touchline. Um, and Amrabat doesn't look like he's going to get there. He's running in a very kind of... Think, almost like Michael Johnson in the 400 metres, he's like back a little bit, but then he launches himself and yeah, gets there and just about gets the ball. And it was, yeah, it was an absolute Bobby Moore esque moment. Yeah, that's it, that's the tweet. Hang it in the Louvre. <laughs> Hang it in the Louvre. Did, because we were talking about constructing the, you know, the perfect retweet. Oh, yeah, you'd want, you'd want all of that. Stop it, Amrabat, as well. Stop it, Amrabat. There you go. And they have. France have stopped. They have, yeah. yeah. They put a stop to that immediately. Well, that's Morocco not out of the tournament because they've got the third, fourth playoff, which mm. could be a high-scoring affair. Morocco, Croatia. Oof, yeah. <laughs> will, that, will that go to penalties if it's level? Yeah. I guess it has to. Ju- uh, could just start with the penalties. I mean, it's going to be the second World Cup in a row where we get uh, a third-place playoff with the, you know, two teams that met in the group stage. Oh, yeah. What was the score then? No, 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 no. Yeah, yeah. Uh, good. Wow. wow, Tom Amernia almost scored one of the greatest goals in World Cup history mm. uh, in that third place playoff in 2018. And occasionally, great goals are scored. You know, the Nelinho Swerver from when was that? I think I'm fairly sure that was a third place playoff. I will check. Well, All right. Well, I, the only one I can remember is is 1990. Obviously, yeah. Uh, Nicola Peter, Peter Shilton going. I mean go and walk about a few times and it, it did feel like a kind of campaign to make sure Scalacci won the golden boot mm. confirmation that Nelinho's goal was scored in the third place match for Brazil against Italy in 1978 and if you're unfamiliar with the goal I would strongly recommend what's it look like Tom Nelinho gets the ball out on the right hand side it's the Argentina World Cup 78 mm. so we all know what tape. that looks like ticker yeah. tape etc mm. uh-huh. and just kind of hits one outside of the right foot and it kind of bends um, around a defender and mm. goes inside the, the far post just to really like a you know well kind of thing that would have been called a, well a banana the, BR, the banana shot was, banana was shot. much imitated surely well in you huh? well yeah is that not well in yeah not got any traction sure yeah mm. alright uh, well there you go well when narratives collide Sunday at the Luzile Stadium Sunday afternoon it's going to be huge Argentina's sixth World Cup final. Their last three have all been against Germany. What a curious thing. Mm. Think back a month. They were busy losing to Saudi Arabia. Who'd have thought? The only, who were the only team to lose their opening game and win the World Cup? Spain. 
Oh, right. I mean, of course, they came close to Argentina in 1990, didn't they? Yeah, they did. But they decided to do some too many fouls in the yeah. final. 28 of them. What's your call? I think there's been a lot of bridge too far chat about Morocco uh, this evening, as in that this game against France was their bridge too far. I wonder whether France might just finally run out of steam. Really? Yeah. Oh, you think France is going to run out of steam? Mm. I think there's been so much that this is destiny, you know, the last dance, et cetera, et cetera, that football doesn't really generally work out like that. There's usually, you know... There's not that much romance in in football. But everything's been going so wrong for Cristiano Ronaldo of late. One thing after another. I mean, how surely this just falls in line. This is just the next domino. Right. We don't know what you thought about Varane. Varane. He probably likes him, yeah, so that's fine. Yeah. There you go. Well, we'll have a special pod up straight after the final. Oh, we've also got an incredibly interesting sounding hybrid affair going on with tifo you're probably familiar with the tifo podcast and youtube visual spectacular uh where they've invited me to to join them and sasha's going to come along to hold my hand in this scary world of shiny machines and tactics talk so uh very much an alice in wonder jimbo in wonderland and that'll be on it'll be live streamable on the YouTube, 7 o'clock on Thursday evening. I hope we're going to knock up some Jimbo in Wonderland graphics for the occasion. I don't know. Because I, for one, would... Yeah, Jimbo yeah. in Wonderland. Well, have, have a look, Tom. And then it will be making it available as a podcast. And that's on Thursday. But perhaps the more important day is Sunday with the final. And uh, our, uh, our final, totally, at the World Cup straight after. And then we'll be back on Wednesday with the Carabao Cup results. And... Uh, like I say, like the whole thing was a crazy fever dream. It's Liverpool Man City next Thursday. Yeah, next Thursday. Mm. We're on before that. But anyway, before we wrap it up uh, for today, I had some lovely messages from uh, listeners and some kind of broader points to ask you because I, I don't think we're seeing you, Tom, and you, Duncan, on Sunday. So it'd be nice to get your kind of... Final thoughts. Final-ish thoughts, yeah. First, this... This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. You're listening to the Totally Football Show with James Richardson, sponsored by LifeScore Bet. You can get the latest football betting odds at LifeScoreBet.com. It's over 18s only. Please bet responsibly and be gambleaware.org. Duncan, thrill and surprise us with a stat about Bayern and Inter in World Cup finals. Yes, it's one of those ongoing stats. They've uh, Those two clubs have had a, a representative in every World Cup final since 1982 onwards. And once again, it's happening. So incredible! Congrats to them and their recruitment specialists. 
very, very much so. Okay, so we've got the final coming up on Sunday, the contractually obligated fixture on Saturday. But uh, here's some questions from... Well, for example, here's one from Tangled Up in Blues. This is, this is the first World Cup in recent memory where there's been almost no talk whatsoever about the ball. It's true. I don't even know what, what the thing's called, the ball. Yeah, no, I know what the ball is, the old round, the old <laughs> but sports globe. Well, no, I think there has been a bit. Has there? Well, you, no, but different talk, because the talk this time was that it was... A, kicks a, bursting, for starters. Well, well, yeah, well that's because it's got the microchip in, yeah, and it and needs, it and it needs it. charging. But there hasn't been talk around its you know, aerodynamic qualities. Well, Jordan Pickford was criticising it. Said it was, was he? Uh, a bit rascal. There you go. Well, there, there we go. There has okay. been talk. Mm. All right, has been talk. Reese Cooper wants to talk about players that we hadn't talked about much. He wants a surprise 11 of the tournament, i.e., says Reese, players that weren't expected to do much but have. So skip those Messi and Mbappé fellas, for example. Maybe some guys that Prem teams could be looking to snap up on the relative sheet. I'm now getting bored, Reese. I find that the most depressing element of the World Cup. We have this romance of these national teams and these... Bands of players grouped together to just go, oh, and yeah, Premier League teams are going to do a trolley dash through. Let's not come, come January. But let's put that to one side then. It, we did actually think about this during the game uh, this evening. And uh, I mean, here's what we came up with. Uh, Tom, you, you lead away. So we've got Dominic Lavakovic in goal, um, who I think has probably been the goalkeeper of the tournament. Uh, I mean, some might argue the penalty for Argentina counts against him, but... I mean, it was I mean, harsh-ish. Yeah. I'm yeah. not going full That's ITV, not, but... Right. Um, but also, what I quite like about Livakovic is that he, he plays in Croatia, plays for Dinamo mm. Zagreb, and we have seen Dinamo Zagreb in the Champions League in recent seasons, but I kind of feel like he's a, a player who a lot of people have, Very have discovered, um, and he's been brilliant. The penalty stopper, extraordinaire. As unsung as a Spanish national anthem. So that's your goalkeeper, and who's the back line going to be? I think we went with the back three, so we've got Juranovic. No, we didn't. We couldn't think of a left back, so we just left it blank. I think we still need to put one in there. We can do okay. that now on the on the hoof. Go on then. So you've got Juranovic, so, Sice. Yeah. Sice is important, it turns out. Sutar. Sutar, who... Got to have him. I mean, got to have he's already Sutar. in England, to be fair, at Stoke. But, I mean, he was the, the definition of a... Of a and he came coming back from really serious injury um, and put his legs, arms, mm. heads and shoulders everywhere. So. And he will shoulders. have his uh, suitors now as well. I'm sorry, what? He'll have his suitors. suitors. Yes. That's nice. Suitors. Yes. Uh, so you need a left back. Well, Charlie suggested Teo Hernandez. Well, after that goal tonight, I can understand mm. why he would, but he's a bit sung. As well, I he think. is a bit sung, but then he wasn't due to start the tournament and he only came into yeah, the team because I think we're Lucas really looking Hernandez. for... I mean, his, yeah, we don't upset not. his family. Yeah, 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 true. I feel like anyone who you don't have to Wikipedia uh, isn't qualified for this. I just can't think of any other left. All right, we'll leave that. <laughs> who have you got in midfield? What's well, this? We've got the un-Henderson. Un-Wikipedia of Jordan Henderson. Who's I mean, he? Um, he is someone who has a strange running gait, according to Alex Ferguson, but has now played in six tournaments for England, which is a joint record in English football history. Good so. Lord. And why is he meriting a place in here? Well, this was Tom's shout, but... Was it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. But I think it's a fair point in that no one expected this to be a World Cup where Jordan Henderson came out as one of England's most important players. And I think, you know, particularly in the knockout stages, he was. Okay. I'm no surprised to see Sofiane Amrabat in mm. there. 
Yeah, I think he's another shoe-in for team of the tournament in that number six position has been one of the emblems for Morocco throughout the tournament, um, has been playing through the pain quite a lot and produced another remarkable moment this evening with that incredible recovery tackle on Mbappe and, you know, playing for Fiorentina. So he's not a, a, a complete backwater, but certainly not someone we expected to have the impact that he has had. Mm. And on the left side of that three, Tom? Salem El Dawsari, who, remember him, scored that spectacular winner against Argentina way back in, in week one, which, Incredible. which seems so long ago. All right, so there's a bunch of other names that we've we've kind of plucked out of our memories as, as surprises or people we weren't really familiar with who seemed like we really should get familiar with, like uh, Arascaita yeah. of Uruguay. Sasha's favourite. Yeah. Ritsudon of Japan. Ruzbe Chesmi. Nicholas Fulkrug. Not sure who was saying all these names. I mean, I was suggesting... Men over six foot three, yeah. Oh, yeah, right, which is, and, and vote Veghorst. Oh. So we had actually, uh, who was it wrote into, ah, here we go, Tom Edwards. Hello, Tom. Will you give Duncan a couple of minutes on the pod to pay tribute to Big WW after his Netherlands heroics? It's true, Duncan. You were particularly looking forward to seeing those well, I was, World Cup. Yeah, I was, I mean, I was made up. He made the squad. Hmm. And then obviously no one really expected his impact against Argentina. I mean, two I mean, two goals in injury time essentially that matched his total in the Premier League for Burnley in twenty games. Um I knew he I knew he had it in him. Um and without making this about me, I, I must have had hundreds of congratulatory messages when he scored the second goal, which Including from Vote? Not right. He was quite he was tied up with a with a little football match. But um it yeah, it's it's good. He's he's not a He's not a superstar, but he's kind of what the World Cup's about, isn't it? That, and that, that equaliser against Argentina was one of the moments of the tournament. Yeah, yeah one yeah. of the great goals of, of World Cup history. Deep in the extra tight, Gakpo of Koopmanners, Koopmanners, Variant, and it is! You need a few names in every tournament where you just, you know, randomly 10 years later go, Remember about Veghorst? And, and people will. I mean, I'll be doing it every day, but people will do it in 10 years. What else are you going to remember in 10 years' time? Or even at the end of this season? Because I have a funny feeling that when we do a review of the Premier League season, come May, we'll be going, do you, do you remember when they had that World Cup in the mm. middle of, in the do, do middle of game week 13? <laughs> I think it's been a good World Cup. I don't think it's been a great World Cup. I think it's been short on quality, but I think it's had some fantastic storylines. I think the quarterfinals in particular were all brilliant in, in, in different ways. Lots mm. of tension, lots of drama, lots of unexpected results. But if you look at the identity of the four semi-finalists, France, Argentina, Croatia, Morocco, none of those teams play particularly flamboyant football. And I think it really speaks to the fact that We've always known that in international football, it's very difficult to do anything creative as a coach or to do anything very creative tactically because you have very little time to spend with your players compared to the time that a club coach does. And that has only been you know, exacerbated by the fact that this, this tournament started a week after all the domestic seasons were, were put on hold. And so you think back to the early weeks of the tournament, some of the teams who first caught the eye, Spain putting seven goals past Costa Rica, England thrashing around, Brazil doing all the Brazil stuff. And all of those teams eventually fell by the wayside. And it was the teams that were, that were able to just grind their way through, be that on penalties, be that with goals from set pieces or, or, or whatever, that ended up being the last man standing. And I think that is is probably partly to do with the circumstances of this World Cup. Um, and I think it kind of 
think it says a lot about the kind of tournament that we've we've had, the kind of football that we've witnessed, and the kind of yeah, the kind of football that's been successful. Yeah, I'm not sure I'm a huge fan of, of sticking a World Cup in the middle of a domestic season. It did feel very crammed in, you know, the, the four games a day. And I know that obviously the next World Cup's going to have a lot more teams, so we don't even know the, the format yet. Um, but it did feel like, yeah, as Tom said, that there were a lot of full storms. But there were some moments where, you know, like when Brazil were tearing South Korea apart, that was that felt very, very pure World Cup. Mm. But in the end, it counted for nothing. And as, you know... France and Argentina, they know how to, to grind it out. And just on Morocco again, um, I mean, you know, it's, it's been, it's been uh, commented on what a positive story they are. But I think particularly for this World Cup, because, you know, as we all know, it's the first World Cup in the Middle East. Um, it might be a while before there's another World Cup in the Middle East. And as a tournament, it represented an opportunity for the West if you like, and the Middle East to get to know each other. And I think had this tournament been jointly staged by multiple countries in the Middle East or in the Arab world, as was envisaged at one point, that might have been what happened. There might have been more curiosity from you know us in the West towards our hosts. But because it was Qatar, because we knew right from the start that the the attribution process itself was compromised. And then as, as time went on and, you know, we found out about the treatment of migrant workers and about the LGBTQ plus situation, that inevitably and correctly focused everyone's attention. And so an opportunity for some kind of cultural exchange was was lost. And I think having, you know, having an African team in, in, in the last four, brilliant, but specifically a, a team from the Arab world, I think was brilliant because it's given us images, positive images of Arabic football culture mm. and the players dancing with their mums on the pitch afterwards and, and all the rest of it and all these players we didn't know who, who we've got to know. And I think that might well be the thing that, that, that resonates the most. I mean, you know, we're obviously talking about this before the, the final on Sunday and, and that will... That will have a big impact on how we remember this tournament. But, you know, as a kind of a positive feel-good story, and particularly for a country from a part of the world that got a lot of negative press before the tournament, I think that's all, you know, all pretty positive. But, I mean, football's, you know, too Eurocentric anyway. But even if you take um, that away, but also the South American support, you know, Brazil and Argentina massively supported. You know, and the, the atmosphere in the England-France game was, was pretty soccer aid at points compared mm. to, you know, some of the games whenever Brazil or Argentina have been there, let alone, you know, more local countries as well. And it has, as you say, that has been, I think it's probably been a point where, you know, people who, who follow European football should sort of go, oh, yeah, hang on. It is a, it is a world game. It is a world game, and it's going to be a world game on Sunday at the Luzile as France take on Argentina. Crikey. Duncan, Tom, many thanks for being with us this evening and for your participation in this uh, tournament. Of course, we'll be looking forward to loads more from you guys as the real world gets back into gear from, what, next Tuesday? Hmm. <laughs> That's so weird. It is a bit funny, isn't it? Thanks to you, listener, as well, and producer Charlie. We're back on Sunday. But don't forget the TIFO special tomorrow. It'll be coming down your feed. Your totally feed is a podcast too, but why not check it out at 7 o'clock? And uh, it'll be loads of fun. For now, though, from all of us here, it's goodbye. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Discover bonus video content by searching for The Totally Football Show on YouTube and see the very latest subscription offers at theathletic.com slash totally. 
The Totally Football Show is an athletic media company production and sponsored by LiveScore Bet. Get the latest football betting odds at LiveScoreBet.com. It's over 18s only. Please bet responsibly and be gambleaware.org. The Athletic.